Welcome to episode five of Here For Now. I'm Nate Durow, and I'm super excited today to dig in with someone who has been a buddy for a long time. Uh, his name's John Ugolini. He's a concert promoter, a fellow concert promoter based out of Chicago, Illinois. Runs a company called Kickstand Productions, and if there was ever a concert promoter that I kind of identify with and kind of feel like we're running parallel courses. John's the guy. I book shows here in Michigan and have for a very long time. And about 15 years ago when I built whatever I was building, uh, I kind of based it on what John was doing along with a couple other promoters, just on like how they presented information on the internet and how, and the kind of the ethic they carried and eventually got to know him. And, uh, he's just a great dude. Isn't he a great dude, Tyler? So great. He's, he just, uh, you find out later that like he's in a, in an improv troupe, I think. We call I really it. want to see his improv. And, um, that like registers once you know him, you're like, oh yeah, he's freaking hilarious. And he's so confident and, uh, just a good, good ass human being. And that's the whole point of this thing. Like, I just want to, I just want to like, I know all these people that are like impressive people doing things on an independent level somewhere and some are really successful and some it's not about success and whatever, but I just want to raise those people up. I just want to lift my friends up so you can see them so you can love them the same way that I love them. And that's what this whole thing is about. So, um, you can find us on the interwebs at here for now podcast.com. If you want to interact with us, we're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at here for now pod. You can shoot us an email if you're still into emails, which I am. Man, Tyler knows I'm I'm an email guy. We've got a we've got a thread that's uh, just just for this meeting that's like 40 emails long. <laughs> um, but if you want to email me and get into one of those, here for now pod at gmail.com. We'll definitely hit you back. Send us suggestions on who you want us to interview. Uh, we do this face to face in the Midwest here. If we ever get to travel together, we'll maybe do it somewhere else. But it's pretty Michigan based. It's pretty Midwest based. Um, I think it's important to do this face to face. And and sitting down in Chicago with John was super fun. Um, when we interviewed John, he was awaiting the arrival of his uh, first child, and now he's a dad. Oh shoot! Which I didn't is know awesome. That. Yeah, yeah, and he's killing it. Um, good time of year, I guess, as a concert promoter. Like he gets to kind of be home around the holidays and kind of like get used to everything. But we get into a little bit in in, in the interview with him this uh, pod or not this podcast, this playlist that he has on Spotify, um, Stone Cold Dad Jams, and it's just like every song that you can imagine your dad with the, like the the beer in one hand and like the spatula at the grill on the back deck just like blaring some freaking REO Speedwagon <laughs> and uh yeah it's just uh, he's such a good dude um speaking of like throwbacks man i, I we we kind of mention it throughout some of the interviews um i've been addicted to collecting tapes has Parkway and Columbia, your band, have you put out yep. a tape? We've put out two tapes. Two tapes. Yeah, we have and like, one of our new record and one of our first EP that doesn't exist anymore. Six <laughs> months ago, I would have told you that that was silly. You're wrong. And then like four months ago, I, I walked into this record store in Flint. It's called Jack's Record Stash. And it's the dude 
Brandon Trammell from uh, Kid Brother Collective, which is kind of a, a band that Parkway would have really like played well with. Um, and this other dude, Jerry Crago, and they're longtime homies. And somebody else in that like friend group, their dad passed away and left this collection of like a hundred thousand records. And it's it's the the guy's name is Jack and it's his record stash and they they decided they've they've been organizing them and like inventorying them because they were just all like in this warehouse right um so they decided to open a retail location up in Flint uh, attached to the Flint local four three two you walk in there and it's like records 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 everywhere and it's super sick but in the corner there was this little thing that like this little colorful thing that peeked out at me and I looked over and it was cassette tapes. And I was drawn in by this one yellow uh, cassette case, bright, like neon yellow, which I knew immediately from, from seeing it across the room that it was Alice in Chains. Uh, it was an Alice in Chains record that I had as a kid. And usually tapes are just in those clear cases. So the bright yellow, like, I was like, oh, got to go over there. And I walked over there and it was all of the tapes from, from my childhood, from like growing up, from Green Day's Dookie to... Run DMC to Nirvana, Metallica, Guns N' Roses, all of that shit that I like loved when I was a kid. I'm obsessed with tape collecting, dude. The last two months, I've got like 150 tapes at home. My wife is just like shaking her head always. Like, and it's not a, t I mean, it, 150 is a lot, but it's not a lot. Um, I'm not going to have thousands of tapes or anything like that. I'm like getting the ones that I had when I was a kid. I'm really kind of ignoring. If, if bands are putting them out now, but it is still kind of neat to me. And I went from being like a complete and total, like ugh, to being totally into it. And it ties together really good with John's story. Um, because John has this playlist of those tracks that were probably played on a cassette deck. Uh, when your dad was out grilling on the back deck or in the garage with the beer in the hand, I love it. So if you've got, Hey, if if you're in a band and you've got uh you've got a tape that you put out, the first three bands to email me at herefornowpod at gmail dot com with a link to your cassette, I will buy your cassette and I'll add it to my collection. I'm really excited for you guys to hear a little bit more about John Ugolini. So please enjoy this interview and check us out on socials at HereForNowPod. This is my interview with John Ugolini. to work for uh, WCKG uh, radio, uh, biker talk radio station. And, a what? Yeah, biker talk radio station. There's a whole station for that? Usually I can <clears throat> see like being a show, but not a station. There was at the time, and I used to want to, like radio was my, my interest. That was what I wanted to get into. I could see that. And I was calling through the phone book randomly looking for internships, and I called WCKG Open Road Radio. And, uh, Open road radio. That's amazing. The host, Gina, was like, well... Um, we play ZZ Top all yeah. day long. <laughs> we don't have any uh, on-air positions or anything in the on-air production, uh, like internships, but we could use somebody in sales. So, you know, 19-year-old me was like, oh, okay, uh, uh, okay, I could do that. <laughs> and then they put me on hold, and I hung up the <coughs> phone, and they called me back. Like, did, did we get disconnected? And I said, no, you know, I appreciate the offer, but I'm not interested in sales. And they said, why don't you stop by the studio? So I stopped by the studio, met all these bikers, got this internship, 
But the host of the show, I did all the reads for um, kryptonite, kryptonite bike locks. Okay. We make tough locks for a tough world. That was a tagline. And uh, Gina would always tell me, like, you need to go home and practice reading a newspaper. Yeah? Yeah. And, you know, she explained to me, like, the proximity effect, microphones, yeah. and how if you are right here, you need to be up here so you end up, you know, here. Right. The, the microphone, like, emphasizes the uh, mid-tones. Right. Thanks for being here, dude. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, John Ugolini, owner of Kickstand Productions and the... Uh, the guy who sent me the longest list of uh, job titles that I've ever received in my life. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, we'll get into all of them, each individual. We're going to break mm-hmm. it down. This is going to be a 12-hour podcast today, <laughs> folks. So uh, settle in, get comfortable. You and I are like, we're buds now, man. Yeah. We've been talking about shows together for a long time. Uh I think I've told you this, but like when I started my whole thing, there were like three promoters that I looked at like their website and like their social mm-hmm. media, what, whatever social media there was when I started doing this mm-hmm. and like kind of based it off that. And you were one of them. Um, Mike Barsh yeah. in uh, Denver and Ryan Gill in Memphis more for like the oh, yeah. mix of what he was doing uh-huh. back on the map or whatever that thing yeah. was called. Um, Skate park shows. And- yeah. Yeah. It was just like the mix. Cause I, you know, we, we both, uh, kind of have similar upbringings and right. backgrounds and things like that as we've established over the, what is it? Almost 10 years. We've probably been friends now yeah, or so. Probably about, about that. So we have kind of similar stories and it's been nice, uh, being in Chicago more often mm-hmm. and just getting a chance to like dig in a little more with you instead of like seeing you once a year. Now I'm seeing you like every, every six weeks or so, which is cool. Yeah, man. And, uh, yeah, so we're we're gonna get into it tonight. We're gonna we're gonna find out who John Ugolini is. I uh, I kind of define this podcast in, in like the the general sense is like I want to take like instead of like at the end of this digging what you do, mm-hmm. I want to dig who you are. Sure, you know, and I kind of already know who you are, so mm-hmm. uh, I have a head start on that. You but, think? But let's yeah yeah. Well, you've got some stories it's all you, coming out. Yeah. Tonight, tonight's the. This the is night. an exclusive. <laughs> this is my asshole tour. There <laughs> nice. <laughs> so uh, I kind of break the ice uh, on each of these by asking a very simple question. Sure. And I want you to answer it in the best way that you think possible. I want you to describe where you are right now. Oh wow! Uh, scattered, I would say, would probably be the the adjective that I would use. You know, I have a child on the way, as you know. Yes, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah, due in a couple weeks, or today, or sometime in between now and yeah, yeah, it could happen in this podcast. Yeah, we might know? have to shut this shit down. Um, yeah, this is important, Corey. So just kind of yeah. hang on for a little bit. Maybe if you could just not move around the house or encourage yeah. any movements. Well, I mean. Labor takes, you know, anywhere from like four to 48 hours, right, so I understand. Right. So we could fit in this podcast. I'll just be a little late at the it hospital. It is a mobile rig, so we could just take it <laughs> take over it down there. to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. I'm just standing there like, you can do it, yeah. Bush. Also, John, let's talk about yeah. your story about Snoop Dogg. Yeah, I feel like, I feel scattered. Like, I feel like I'm, it, as you know, it's a roller coaster of emotions. Like, I'm, I'm happy, um, generally. You know, I'm also panicked. Yeah. I'm also anxious as my first child, yeah. you know? So you go back and forth these last nine months or so from uh, blissful ignorance, right? Yep. Which is where I was for a long time. And also fear. And also fear. Yeah. And then you feel like, oh, I got this. You know what? I'm, I'm figuring this out. Mm-hmm. And then something happens 
a mucus plug drops or something like that and you're scrambling for a hospital <laughs> bag and you're like, oh, I, I don't have any of this figured out. You I know, thought I had this and shit. No, I thought I had this. I need to get a, I need to get a will. I need to get like, like all these things right, like right. in place that I've never thought about. How am about. I going to pay for college oh, for this yeah. <laughs> kid? God damn it. Um, we didn't plan for that yet. Yeah. But it's been at the same time. So I feel a little scatterbrained, but also um, I feel there's a sense of clarity as a human being that I'm, I'm hoping uh, that this child is, is bringing to me through the gravity of the situation. Like, I feel like I'm seeing things differently in yeah. life, which is, is nice. That's good. You're doing a good job, dude. Thanks. I'm proud of you. <laughs> You're holding it together, man. Um, give me a little, uh, give me a little rundown on, on, on little John and, and where in the Ugolini family, um, where you came from, where you grew up. Sure. Uh, just the whole story leading up to like, I don't know, college or whatever, I guess. Okay. When, when like you became a career facing adult as opposed to like a kid. Yeah. Yeah. What was little John's life like? Well, let's see. You know, I grew up in the suburbs of Illinois, um, in Glendale Heights specifically. And my parents moved around a lot. Um, my mom is an attorney. Uh, my parents, my biological father and my mom divorced before I was born. Okay. So growing up, like I, you know, knew my biological dad through, through visitations and, you know, the every other week deal. But my stepdad essentially like raised me with my mom and my stepdad was a firefighter. My mom is an attorney and they, you know, so I grew up and we moved around a lot, probably every, every handful of years. So a lot of my childhood is moving around, you know, new schools, you know, getting settled somewhere, kind of, you know, transitioning to somewhere else. And then I would say somewhere around like high school, my parents developed like my mom specifically, my dad broke his back, right? As a firefighter. Ouch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he wasn't able to work and my mom developed um, a bunch of autoimmune diseases, multiple sclerosis and lupus. And from a young age, I would say this is like high school by this point. Yeah. I took care of my, my parents and, you know, still the grocery shopping, a lot of the cooking and, you know, kind of lived a life somewhat in service to, you know, the family. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was like the, you know, high school. Um, and then when I went to college, I would say that's when I really like, I feel like discovered myself. That's when I, I started playing in my first band and exploring like my creative interests. There's an art major at the time, um, started doing comedy performances and put, put together my first shows, um, my first concerts. What do you play? Guitar. Okay. And bass. Okay. Neither of them. Well, yeah, well, well enough. Serviceable, right? functional. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's in college. And where did you go to school? At NIU in DeKalb. Okay. Yeah. So we'll get to DeKalb because that's kind of when, when I first started to get to know you 10-ish years ago, it was kind of centered. Your world at that point was pretty centered in DeKalb. Yeah. At the House Cafe and some of the other places there. But we're mm-hmm. getting a little ahead of ourselves. Let's rewind a little bit. Early memories of music in your household or in where, where did you first start connecting with music? Like before even you played I was a late bloomer. 
Um, I remember being in seventh grade and, you know, when you have an allowance or, you know, you're, you're, you're scrounging together cash for the first time. I remember thinking the idea of spending my money on music being absurd when I could spend it on comic books or action figures. Okay. So that's interesting. That's cool. (laughs) Wow. So I, I think it was probably around seventh grade that I really started connecting with, with music, um, listening to the radio specifically listening to local 101 on Q101 at the time and listening to local music. Uh, and I would go into my, my sister's room when she was away. My sister was a college radio DJ, right? Yeah. And when she was at work, I would go into her room and I would take a bunch of CDs and like dub them down to tape and then put them back before she got back from, oh, wow. from work. Yeah. And that was like the foundation of my my musical DNA were, you know, talking heads and new orders and they might be giant CDs oh, that wow. I, you know, ripped and uh, stole from her and, you know, essentially. Very cool. That's, that's a much cooler uh, batch of like first records. Well, there's bad stuff in there. People. Okay. Well, let's, there's a lot. Don't, don't sugarcoat this shit. Like tell me Talking heads. She, what else cool can I, the cure? Well, see, she had like, the, what else? She was, had the good stuff. Okay. Right. All right. So where'd the bad stuff come from? Well, from me and from my virgin ears and I, okay. I'm not like, you know, I do have, I feel refined taste in music just as anybody does that sure. spends a lifetime. Uh, well, not a lifetime, but spends Most a lot of, of their time listening sure. to it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, you become more in tune with what you like and, you know, so on and so forth. But, uh, I told my sister once I, I was into a lot of pop punk when I, those are my bands that yeah. my sister didn't like, right. so, you know, Green Day, Blink-182, that sort of thing. And like, sure. whatever I heard on the radio that I was particularly like taken with at the time. Yeah. And I remember like showing my sister in a moment of like, you know, trying to impress my sister, telling her that Blink-182's, what's my age again? which I was so into at the time. I was like, this is my anthem. And she said, <laughs> really? That's a terrible song to have as your anthem. Right. Did you listen to the lyrics of that song? Yeah. And I was like, oh God, I guess you're right. <laughs> but that, that was my, my self, third so, eye blind, you know, pop punk. Yeah. You know? was, was it just you and your sister in the house? I mean, and your, your, your family, your parents, but you just have one yeah. sister? No. So I'm a family of seven. Holy, holy. Yeah. Holy. Okay. Yeah. Um, two older sisters. Two younger brothers. Okay. I'm in the middle. Two. Wait, that's only five. Well, and then, you know, my parents. Oh, a family of seven, including the parents. Okay, yes. cool. All right. I'm like, I'm like doing the, I'm like looking at the batting lineup and I'm like, no, there's not enough. There's more <laughs> short, a couple, John. So you're right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Two older sisters, two younger brothers. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a big household. It is. And you were not only trying to like help take care of the parents, Mm-hmm. Kind of later on a little bit. Later on, yeah. But also, like, was it like a group effort? Or, like, had your sisters gone off to school and you, you were taking care of your brothers? Or, like, it... Yeah. I don't feel like the middle of five is the one that that would fall on. I think I was old enough at the time. So my sisters were in college at that time. Okay, they were so out of the house. It was the timing. So you were, like, the... the yeah. The, the, the de facto... Right. ...man of the house, so to speak. I was the one that could, that could drive. You sure. know, I had a license. And, right. you know, so... I was of the age to be able to do the thing, those things. Right. Okay. So Green Day, Blink-182 mixed with Talking Heads and they might be giants. That's a good mix. That's a good yeah. mix. That's a good mixtape. 
I think so. Yeah. Um, so you went to college in DeKalb and to start reviewing the list, the laundry list of various, uh, music industry position (laughs) positions that you've held. Um, you were on the concert board at NIU, which I feel like NIU has a pretty active concert thing don't they like there's certain colleges that just don't do it and then there's ones that are like they yeah. put on a couple shows a year is that accurate yeah. uh when i was there now i think they're essentially a funnel to the convocation center yeah um that puts on all the arena shows in town and they take the student funding and kind of kick it over there sure but when i was there you know we did a lot of concerts for the you know we had a budget and we did a lot of concerts on campus that were you know smaller smaller right. scale what, uh, what were some shows you worked on when you were in school? Well, my claim to fame at the time was Andrew W.K. and the Lawrence Arms. Oh, wow. That's in the, a twosome. In the Duke Ellington Ballroom. And actually... On dead, the same show? On the same show. Okay. And Dead to Fall played that show, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's kind of a strange bill, but that show um, was in the Duke Ellington Ballroom, and that, I think, was what really kind of kicked things off uh, for me. Yeah. You know, prior to that, I was, I got into the industry almost like because of a a practical joke. Like I, I had been in the dorms, right. And the, uh, my friends on the, on my dorm floor in Douglas Hall went to these student government meetings every week for the Douglas Hall council. Right. Yeah. And I didn't go because I thought it was stupid (laughs) and (laughs) okay. A position opened up for programming vice president of the Douglas Hall Council, right? And they were holding elections. And when I wasn't there, when I bailed on the meeting, they nominated me. And <laughs> nice. um, they made me go to the next meeting, not knowing that I had been nominated, knowing that I would have to speak to my platform and my point. And, you know, and what I would do <laughs> is the programming vice president of Douglas Hall. So they totally, you know, screwed me over and like put me on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. And I ended up giving an impromptu speech and I won. <laughs> this is amazing. I went into the president of the Douglas hall council and I, I, you know, tendered my resignation. I resigned. I'm like, this is a, like, I'm, I'm a fraud. My, right. my friends did this as a joke. I don't deserve to do this. Right. I, I don't, I'm sorry. I'm not interested. And the president was like, well, you know, I think you actually would be good at this. You should, you should take the position. Sure. And it was in doing that, you know, the programming vice president and what they do and and their job is to set up like movie nights in the dorms. Yeah. Gingerbread house building nights around the holidays and like stuff like that. This is literally my exact story. Okay. Minus the the practical joke. So I I, started in college doing the exact same thing. I was like, I'm going to throw a concert. I don't even know what the hell that meant. You know? Yeah. I just knew a local band. So that's, that's what I did. I threw a concert in the cafeteria of yeah. Douglas Hall and yep. I had no idea what I was doing. I put an ad out in the student paper to like recruit bands. Right. I had no clue. Um, but And then the Foo Fighters called. And then the Foo Fighters called. But at that show, I had the fortune of booking this band in DeKalb at the time called Bicycle Day that... Uh, I think it was their first show, actually, because they didn't have a name at the time. They named themselves when they played that show. And they were the first local band that I saw um, that they just blew me away. They were, like, phenomenal. And I remember my young mind thinking, like, whoa, this is a local band that, like, sounds just as good as the bands I've seen 
you know, touring or on the radio or on MTV. Like this yeah, band is yeah. incredible. Like why aren't they massive? Why don't I know about this? Right. Who didn't tell me? Right. Who do I yell at? That's cool. So that went off. Uh, I mean, my Jesus, that's really close to my story. It's the same kind of thing where, um, I was an RA yeah, and I had to do two events per semester. Oh wow. Yeah. And everyone else was like, you like something that took them five minutes. Movie right. night was a perfect one. Cause it was like, they yeah. just grabbed a movie and put it in the VCR. Yeah. You know? And it was like, here it is. We did it. And there's some <laughs> popcorn over there if you want yeah. and, and a microwave. Like I did my event and I was like, I'm going to throw a show. Yeah. And half a campus showed up. Now for me, yeah. that wasn't a lot. Cause I was on a campus of like 400 students. So sure. Like, 200 showed up, which was sick and piled into this little like lobby of our dorm. Like the dorm had like two sides in this big open room with a TV in it. Yeah. We just pushed the TV and the couch out of the way and put the band on the floor. And they did like better than Ezra covers and Mm -hmm. our lady peace covers. And it was great. Everybody had a great time. Yeah. So that's super sick. Um, so where'd it lead from there? Like what, what, uh, did you just kind of, own that shit and become like the concert guy on campus or what? Yeah. So I, I, I did that for a while and then I started playing in bands and playing around in, in a handful of different bands. Um, and I found out about a position opening up with the campus activities board that I applied for and ended up getting. And that was when I really like that, that kind of escalated everything. That's when I, I started working with the budget and like doing a calendar of programming for the university. Right working with bigger acts, working with agents, you know, and really kind of getting a taste for the, you know, the, the concert business. So was the Lawrence Arms, Andrew WK thing, like the biggest thing you did in college or did you get into something, any, anything like yeah. that you could tell your, like your mom and be like, Oh yeah, I know who that is. No, my mom didn't know any, like, you know, the, nothing registered until I booked Snoop Dogg that right. was several years later. Sure. Sure. So mom would not know like, or anybody that at that, that time, many of my family, the, the Andrew WK Lawrence arms, you know, but that was the show that kind of turned heads at the university because that was the largest show that had been thrown in the Duke Ellington ballroom since like the golden era of that, that venue. Since Duke Ellington since, was like, playing there. Since Duke, <laughs> they had like Radiohead there or they had, oh, uh, all right. All right. they one time had a show that was, I think a uh, red hot chili peppers, smashing pumpkins and Pearl jam. Yeah. That tour show. also played the union ballroom at Michigan state. Okay. They're like, that's their claim. It's same era. Then it would have been the same tour. Probably it was yeah. probably all, it was probably one of those like pre MTV, uh, campus invasion tours yeah, or whatever. Absolutely. And yeah, so that played the ballroom at MSU, which is like a mm. 500 cap little space. And I'm just mm. like, how the fuck did that go down? Yeah. That was sick. Yeah. I wasn't there, but I'm sure it was sick. Yeah. Okay, cool. So from there, uh, school wraps up, right? Mm-hmm. Or is starting mm-hmm. to wrap up and you go over to MP shows, which is a name I haven't heard in a while. Yeah. You know, at that time, like I graduated from college and I was, you know, I developed a liking for producing shows and was figuring out like what the, what the next step was. At that time I had started throwing shows independently. I was still playing in a band, uh, several bands and I was setting up shows for friends bands, but branching out and doing shows off campus through, you know, Elks Lodges, VFW halls, you know, basement shows, house shows, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, I got an internship with MP shows, uh, so I interned there for a little bit. That was when they were doing Fireside Bowl and Bottom Lounge. Okay, yeah. And I predominantly worked under the um, the guidance of the Honorable John Benetti, who 
kind of taught me a lot of life lessons and was kind of in the industry and was kind enough to kind of take me under his wing a little bit yeah. instead of um, being relegated to like poster hanging duty and, you know, all the stuff that interns kind of generally kind of do. do. Yeah. yeah. You weren't the coffee getter. You got to actually like get in there and like yeah build offers and see it all kind of come together a little bit. Yeah. He showed me behind the scenes a little bit. You know, and in this industry, you know, as you know, like one of the bad things about it is that it's kind of an exclusive industry. Like you kind of have to know somebody to get into it or have yeah. some inside info. Yeah, like all the doors are locked, but you just have to right. have somebody peer through the glass and see you standing on the other side and just open the door for you. Right. And it's endearing in the sense that the people that do generally make it like kind of scratch and claw and are fierce in strong individuals, but at the right. same time, it's kind of shitty that it is such an exclusive thing. Yeah. Sometimes it's not as merit based as it should be. Right. It's more like we hire the loud people and maybe not the best people. Right. But sometimes the loud people, like, like you said, there's something to be said for scratching and clawing and making a mm-hmm. name for yourself in that manner. So from MP, how long did you do that? Just like a, like a college semester kind of thing, or did you stick around for a while? Or? Um, not really. I did it right after I graduated, and I think I was only there for maybe like like maybe about a year or under a year, maybe okay. even. Yeah. Um, well, that's a long time for an internship. Yeah. Or did it turn into like maybe a paid like little part time giggy? Giggy. I d- I don't. Is that a word. Giggy? Yeah. Giggy. Uh, I don't. Giggy life. Hashtag. I don't, I don't remember how it ended. I just remember somewhere like around there, like I ended up like starting work with the house cafe yeah. and starting, starting kickstand and moving out of like the internship role and starting my own, my own thing. How did that come about? Did you, was, was house like a thing that was already there and mm-hmm. you kind of fell into it? Was it like a place you frequented through your college years or? Uh, yeah. The house cafe had, you know, maybe like, like a couple shows a week. It mm-hmm. wasn't an all out music venue. It was very much a coffee shop that right. had, some live programming and events. Mm-hmm. And so I saw a handful of shows there. And when I graduated, I decided to start kickstand and the house cafe um, agreed to give me like a night a week, basically. And I worked with a club in Rockford and a few other places and did a handful of events like, like every week yeah. uh, independently. Yeah. Okay. What a, okay. So give me a time frame. That's like what? Two thousand three. Okay. And you came right out of the gate with the kickstand thing. Where did where did kickstand uh, kind of come from? Where did the the, the moniker? Mm. Yeah, it came from a, a pizza. What's your band name? Yeah, what's about? my band name? It came from a pizza box, which is how all of my random bands that I was in and like random companies and record label that I had at the time got our name. Is our uh, method amongst my group of friends was to get a hurricane pizza, which is big ass pizza. Yeah. Eat it, do a brainstorming session, and write a bunch of names on the underside of the box. Okay. So you have like seventy or eighty on there, and then yeah. you know you pick one. And my we friend should do that with the podcast, dude. Yeah, there you go. We don't actually know at the time of this recording what this is even going to be called. And we've had yeah. pizza twice this week. Uh, we're doing this wrong. Get a hurricane. Good lord. And uh, my friend Sam kind of suggested the idea kickstand really as an idea uh, that the the inspiration behind it was like much in the way a kickstand keeps a bike up that you're like supporting a scene, like a kickstand in relation to the scene, supporting the scene. Yeah. And I really like that idea, especially when I was younger. Yeah. Um, I thought that was great. And it was also the best name on the pizza box. <laughs> so 
at that point you had to have one so but it i didn't get serious with it until um i was like royally fucked over and that forced me to like incorporate and i'm grateful in retrospect that it happened yeah you know when i started i also booked tours for bands and i booked this band the felix culpa and Dude. yeah we just turn this into a Felix Culpa appreciation podcast. Oh, man. It, I could talk hours about that. Every episode, I just want, I latch on to something, and then it becomes. I think the last one was a Mandalorian uh, Star Wars. <laughs> we just wanted to convert it to that. But what a great band! Yeah, those guys it, have been big supporters um, from day one of of myself and of Kickstand. And I was doing shows at not only at the House Cafe, but at this this place in Rockford called Minglewood. That was kind of a hippie, like kind of hemp you know, head shop, but also coffee. And they had a stage and back and the owners, you know, without speaking too deeply about it, were kind of, you know, like loose cannons. Right. And on back to back weeks, I booked the Felix Culpa one week and Flatfoot 56 another, and they would do dubious things in the basement that, um, should remain unmentioned. The owners would, the owners would, and they came up all tweaked out. And pulled me into the office, accused me of having a conservative right-wing agenda in the bands that I booked because I booked two bands that Flatfoot 56 are Christian. And the Felix Culpa have a few Christian members, but they're not like a a Christian Christian band. Yeah, Christians in a band versus a Christian band. So they took all the money and then they fired me on the spot. Oh. And I called the Felix Culpa, who at that point, they weren't playing that night. I think it was a a Flatfoot show. Yeah. I called the Felix Culpa who were playing a show like at College of DuPage. And I'm like, I just got fired. They just took all the money. They just stole the money and that's it. Yeah. So they said, don't worry about it, man. Just come hang out with us. Just come over here, hang out with us. You know, we'll hang out. Yeah. Um, And that, yeah, I mean, they, they supported me. I was really obviously bummed. Yeah. And defeated. And at that moment, you know, those dudes supported me. And then I kind of decided, like, I'm not going to let this happen to myself again. I'm incorporating, like, I own my shows. What I do is through Kickstand, I'm financing, I'm signing the contracts, I'm a company, I'm an entity. And I could take my shows elsewhere if I'm put in that position again or take action. Right. You're not working on behalf of the venue. You're working with the venue as a partner, but you control... You're the controlling you know, right. entity there. Huh. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I'd never even heard of that place. I've been to Rockford, Illinois once. There was a, was it the Elb? Was yeah, the ELB. Yeah, like church a basement. Church basement thing. Mm-hmm. I've done, I did Defeater there. <clears throat> done a handful of shows there. Okay. Is that, what was that guy's name? Steve? Yeah. Is there a Steve? Yeah, Steve. He did that. He did the, um, oh, geez, what was the name of the skate park? Is it the Warp Skate Park? I don't even remember the name of the skate park. That's really going to bother me. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had like one of my Michigan bands come over and play and he was just so easy to get uh, shows from if you happen to land on the dates that he had at the room or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, And I feel like, I feel like that was a place that like his shows were always like $3 or something Mm -hmm. ridiculous, but then he would, he would still guarantee money and it was like, Oh, I can do a $3 show. And, get this band $125 to get to the next stop. Like yeah. that's the dream, you know, in the MySpace era of 2006, right. you know, mm-hmm. trying to book independent tours. Like it was, and, and we went through one time and boy, was it a ghost town, that city. 
Yeah, my friend Ron calls it the Kmart of cities. <laughs> um, have you it, been to South Bend or Fort Wayne, <laughs> Indiana? Because I think they would have something to say about that. Yeah, okay. Fort Wayne especially. Make a fight over that, uh, that, that title. That title, yeah. yeah. I can see that. So you're at the house. Yeah. You're, you've incorporated kickstand. And yeah. you, you've begun to kind of spread your wings. Where did Where did your wings take you? Yeah, and feel no pressure to run through everything on that no, giant list. So I'm much not. of it is bunched together. Sure, that's why I'm just, where did you go next, John? Yeah. Um, I, it, so the House Cafe, we were programming and really like doing that that venue like full time. And at that we started working with Autos Nightclub as well in DeKalb, one of the other venues there. Yeah. And started branching out into secondary markets, um, doing more shows in Rockford, uh, Central Illinois, you know, Palatine, Illinois. Yeah, uh, working with bigger bands and, and experiencing new, new things. Highs and lows. Highs and lows. Yeah. So what? Uh, so that's kind of how I started to mm-hmm. get to know you ten years ago. Is you mm-hmm. were kind of like the, the uh, suburban Illinois promoter. Yeah. And I was kind of doing the same thing in Michigan. You know, mm-hmm. Lansing, Grand Rapids, etc. At what point did you get to come into the city? And kind of make the loop, the 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 leap, from being the the suburb guy to the suburb guy and the city guy. Yeah, um, I did a show, the De- the Devil Wears Prada, maybe their first or second Chicago show. I think second Chicago show, Beat Kitchen. Yeah, and it sold out. And at that time, you know, I had um, kind of earned a, or you know developed a, a standing in like the metalcore community. Yeah, in in that world, right? Although that wasn't really like personally what I listened to. It we work with a lot of those bands. I think I was in the same boat. I think yeah. I think those bands um, went to independence. Yeah, stronger than anyone did at that time frame. Like, right. Like I feel like the Live Nations and AGs of the world weren't ready to deal with the kids that were swinging their arms in the pit and kicking each other in the head. Right. Whereas at the max bars of the world and, and you know, the, the Palatine, Illinois and all yeah. that, they're just like, oh, whatever shows are shows. And these <laughs> kids are coming out in yeah. masses. We'll deal with the fact that they're like doing whatever the hell yeah ninja moves they're doing. Yeah. I, I did a like, handful of shows in Chicago that, that went well. And I had, I kind of got, um, I kind of grew disenchanted from an early age with like, some of the politics of the Chicago scene and I was young and, and naive. Sure. And I had a, a situation that it kind of happened with one of our shows being um, like kind of stolen from another like in-house buyer. Yeah. So I was kind of like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm just focusing on secondaries. Yeah. You know, I don't need this. And at that point, like I really enjoyed doing shows in secondary markets. Yeah. Um, well, you were a secondary market dude. Where, where yeah. did you say you were from? So like Glendale Heights, like Bloomingdale, Illinois, like that's okay. suburbia, like yeah. suburbs of Illinois, sure. but DeKalb, my formative years, right. I liked, when you do shows in the secondary market, like you can feel the the impact. And I'm in this industry ultimately for to, to contribute to the culture and because I, I greatly enjoy putting on shows and, yeah. you know, hopefully they mean something to people and you feel that more in a, in a secondary way market right yep you know you see the same people coming to the shows and you talk to them and feel like you can feel how important it is to them yeah 
in the sense of community, like I love that about secondary markets. You become kind of the hub, you know, for right. all the spokes of the wheel to like turn. You're you're kind of the center right. of it. And that's a cool feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of get the same thing where it's like you have the same kids coming out to the same shows and eventually they, you know, become friends or they become people that want to pass out flyers for you mm-hmm. or eventually they work the door for you and then they they work for you. You know, it's just like sure. you build up this little thing and it has like a pride to it. Do you feel like that like small town um, vibe is the same as it was 15 years ago? Um, the internet has made it like, I lived 45 minutes from Detroit. Right. But I never went to shows in Detroit mm-hmm. when I was like a kid, like high school, you know? Mm-hmm. So we just made shows happen where we were, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that kind of like small town thing has kind of been like plowed out of the way by the internet because it just seems like it's so, it's such a global everything now. You don't have a local music scene like you did a local music community as strongly because if you liked ska, there was like one ska band in town. If they mm-hmm. liked metal, there was a metal band and a couple metal bands in town. Now it's like you have the entire oh, world's history of music. Mm-hmm in your palm at any given point. I told you, Tyler, that I use that in every single (laughs) podcast. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Every single conversation that I have, but like it kind of like just obliterated those, those Mm. like regional scenes. Howell was always known for having ska bands and Brighton was always known for having indie rock bands and they were five miles apart, but it was like a, it was like two totally different things. Yeah. Do you see that in in Illinois and Iowa and yeah. Milwaukee and some of these places? Or yeah, no doubt. I think you see it in major markets too. You know, yeah. with their people competing, uh, their attention is is constantly drawn to to any. There's no shortage of media or forms. It's that they're drawn to. Um, you know, I think it's the same. Like artistically, the way that bands like Vampire Weekend, right, can can draw influences from all corners of the globe because of they came up in the internet era, right. So they could be inspired by, um, you know, as, as far like whatever music they downloaded off of Napster or LimeWire right, or whatever right. it was at the time. Whereas the romantic thing about like local music scenes, you know, Seattle in the nineties, the grunge scene is you have bands vibing off of each other right. because that's the culture. And then yeah. you have a local sound, right? Yeah. This is like the New York, like late seventies sound. And then this is like the uh, Seattle, like grunge the sound. Mid- the Midwest emo sound, right. you know, kind of the first you know, yeah. a couple go rounds of that. And there's something romantic about that, about people vibing off of one another. And then also that the audience and the crowd that comes out to the show is kind of informed by that as sure. well. And that, and then that changed the the tone of the, the local shows because there was like almost a discovery factor that now has mm-hmm. solely gone to the internet. Yeah. Like you would just go and be like, I don't know what's happening tonight, but this is where my people are. So I'm going to go on a Friday night and go hang out at the, church basement and mm-hmm. watch loud bands be loud and sure. div- discover my, now it's like, I'm going to go to the show because I know who the bands are. Right. And so, you know, there's still people that have that romantic look, you know, they mm-hmm. just go to shows just to check it out, but it's mm-hmm. probably 99% the other thing, which is just like, I'm going to go see rap boys. Cause I like rap boys or I heard yeah. this band sounds like rap boys. And that's what the band I like. You know? Yeah. To put some Chicago love. I love it. On it dude. So, <laughs> New song is awesome. Have you seen it? It is. Yeah. 
I didn't get that show, but I'll get the next one. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we all say. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe not, but, but that's okay. So a little bit disillusioned with your first go round in Chicago, mm-hmm. you kind of retract back to your comfort zone in the yeah. suburbs and try to expand your empire there, so to speak. And, yeah. then, and then what's next? Yeah. And I do kind of regret that in hindsight, because I think if I were aggressive and I really just kind of went at it in Chicago as like a young, however old I was at the time, like 22 or whatever, um, I think I'd be better for it. But I kind of went back to my comfort zone and focused on secondary markets, Yeah, kind of away from all the, the intense like competition in Chicago and the backstabbing and all the other stuff that you have out here. Sure. Um, there are plenty of good things about Chicago as well. Though. Of Music course. Scene, of course. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Um, so yeah, I, I focused on secondary markets. Um, I did that for a while. Kickstand began to like to grow and expand. Um, I, I got a job with Ravenswood Event Services to to kind of, um, you know, supplement my my pay as I was trying to like really fully make this my my career, my job. Sure. So I worked with them for a while booking a bunch of their properties. Um, and that lasted a couple years. And then I, I dove headfirst 100% fully into kickstand. Um, you know, a couple years later, really making like a, like an aggressive play at like being serious about my, my shit and not, you know, seeing it so much as like I started it as a hobby, right? And then yeah, it, it yeah. became we almost a job. most of us did, right? Yeah. So what was there a was there an event or a, or a thing that happened that shifted that mindset or was it more just just the natural progression of things that comes from like immersing yourself in something? You're in a yeah. you're a pretty immersive guy, you know, you yeah. kind of like dive hard into the things you dive into whether it's yeah. dad rock playlists or right. Yeah, or improv or yeah. whatever, like you're in. Yeah. I would say that my, so I had this mentor at the time at NIU who passed away Mm -hmm. a couple years after I, um, you know, had graduated, started kickstand and, you know, he was like my, my Yoda kind of taught me a lot about the business and, uh, you know, took me under his wing in almost a father, fatherly way. Yeah. And at the time, you know, my, my parents weren't really supportive about me branching out and doing the, you know, starting kickstands or, you know. Yeah. So it meant like a great deal to me. And he ended up passing away. I was a pallbearer at his funeral. We were really, really close. And it kind of put a lot of things in perspective for me. Um, he was my biggest champion, had really, you know, kind of told me from day one, like, you're you're a lifer in this business. Like, I believe in you. You're going to do good things. Right. You know, when I lost money on my first show, um <laughs> which was the red cord at the Rockford Jewish community center. I lost like $150 and I, which was probably devastating at the time, which was devastating at the time because this was like year one kickstand. Sure. And I, God knows how much money was in my bank account at the time enough for $150 to be substantial. Right. And he closed the door to his office as I was complaining about this, made me sit down and he just screamed at me, just like yelled at me, not scream, but like yelled at me and was like, He's like, you're looking at this all wrong. You know, $150, you're talking about losing $150. Like, like you should be losing a lot more money than that to be doing this job correctly. Yeah. And you need to really change the way that you view all of your business. And yeah. 
you know, he gave me a really stern talk and like around every professional like hurdle that I encountered, you know, I had him as a sounding board, him as like a guiding light. Right. And when he passed away, it was this devastating time for me professionally because I felt like I don't have my Yoda. I don't know what to do now. Right. But in a way it forced me also to like confront myself with those professional like quandaries and really double down and go for it because that's stand up for what he would have wanted right yeah. yeah yeah he would he would have pulled you into a room and yelled at you and said right pull your pants up and let's freaking go yeah what are you waiting for don't don't be sad for me so um so at this time you you've you, you're going for it you're you're mm-hmm. going all in on kickstand and that when does uh beat kitchen subterranean uh gomez uh, yeah, Wicker Park Fest. Where does that all fit in then? Where does that, like, you know, you're doing, God, what do you do now? Almost a thousand events a year? Something yeah. like that? Yeah, we do about 50 shows a month, That's I would insane. say, between all of our venues. Yeah. Uh, probably like five five years ago. This is 2013 or so. Um, so a little longer. Um, and we started booking at Bee Kitchen and Subterranean. Met, met Gomez. We have been doing some, some one-off shows independently. Yeah. And it just so happens that like John Bonetti, who I interned with at MP shows, who's really tight with Gomez and, you know, used to book those rooms, um, suggested to Gomez that he, you know, reach out to me and like look into kickstand and that led to us talking and then us being more involved in those rooms and then securing the, the talent buyer position and kind of managing the calendars in both of those venues, be kitchen subterranean, and then also the properties, festival properties that, that they, um, work with do division street fest and wicker park fest yeah and a handful of other street festivals at the time yeah there's a lot of them in chicago there's a lot of them they just keep coming and popping up and going away and um but wicker park fest itself is a monster isn't it it is ninety thousand people over three days more more than that yeah um yeah it's great yeah that's wild how far is that from here like where does that actually take place it takes place in the Right in the like Milwaukee Damon, um, like right in the heart of Wicker Park, like subterranean, right, right? outside of subterranean, really, and the old you double just, door. You just close the whole close block there, Milwaukee and... down, and it's like the Damon to Ashland on Milwaukee. Okay, wow, that's a big old pile of people to fit in that little, not little, but you know, yeah, it doesn't feel like it would hold 30,000 people a day, yeah. Ins and outs. Yeah. A lot of my friends have played that. In fact, yeah. you've hooked up a couple of my friends, so I appreciate that. Of course. Um, where are you at now? Like, what do you, what, what's, uh, what's 2019 look like for kickstand and what's 2020 looking like? Well, 2019 has been great. You know, as you know, there are constant adjustments in this business, especially like with the consolidation of the music industry that yep. that's happening with with agencies, record labels, promoters, yep. AG and Live Nation, and the the evil dark empire like looming over the horizon, right? Yeah. So you know, as independents, like you're constantly exploring new territory and kind of bobbing and weaving and trying to find different ways to, uh, you know to expand your business um, in light of that uh, competition and everything. So I think for us, we've, we've done a lot of new, we've been working with new rooms, uh, new venues. Uh, We've been, you know, doing more comedy, more podcasts, working in rooms that, um, you know, we hadn't uh, worked in previously. You know, we started, 
Chicago was, Theater, baby. Chicago Theater in March. Yeah. Did you survive the uh, Ticketmaster uh, the outage on outage Friday. on the day of your big big on sale? It definitely put a dent in it, but it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's it's doing it's it's doing just fine. And that's how big of a room? Three thousand. That's your biggest Chicago city thing that you yes uh, room wise anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big move. Yeah. So we're doing uh, more stuff at the the Vic and. You know, the, the, we're, I feel really proud and honored to be doing this show at the Chicago Theater in March. So really the, the plan is to continue expanding and challenging ourselves and working in bigger rooms and expanding into to new markets. You're one of the dudes, uh, there's like two types of promoters out there. There's one that um, kind of seemed like they were not born into it, but you mm-hmm. started right away. And then there's me who didn't even touch music until I was 25. I didn't start my company or start booking shows until like well after all y'all that kind of like came up around shows. You know? Right. Um, was there ever a moment through all of this that you were like, I don't want to do music anymore or I don't think I'm going to be able to do music anymore as, as a career? Yeah. Um, yes. So (laughs) he's looking off in the distance for a very uh, defined moment. I think there's uh, a clear, a clear, I had to, at some point decide that I was going to throw myself into this, that I was going to deliver pizzas and after work, um, just work as hard as possible on booking shows. I went to CMJ one year and I heard somebody say on a panel, if you treat something like it's your job, it will become your job. And I kind of took that to heart. And I think as a creative, that is great advice. Yeah. I think that if you spend eight hours a day, nine to five, doing whatever your passion is, it will become your, you know, your vocation, your profession. And so I doubted it when I started that because I was broke and I was hustling and it was really difficult to like string together enough money to survive. Um, I doubted it. Uh, when I started doing shows with bands that shall remain unnamed, but I started doing shows with, you know, some crab core acts and some acts that like, I didn't, didn't speak to me artistically, personally, I felt dirty booking them. Yeah. But this relationship is, is, or this industry is built around relationships, right? Um, An agent that has my favorite band might also have this glammy crab core band that I absolutely despise everything about, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. So there were some moments doing some of those shows where I... We're not going to name that band, but... Uh, right. We're going to very clearly define... I had, like, personal, like, philosophical, like, uh, um, personal and professional reckoning that, without being dramatic, like, bummed me out, you yeah. know, where I thought... Yeah you know what, maybe I just want to do this as a hobby. Like I'm not ready to advocate for some of these terrible bands. Um, but I began to see things like a little more, the, the yin and the yang, um, finding the good within the bad and seeing that there's a balance on how all of that serves one another. Like in DeKalb, some of those shows, if it weren't for those shows, I wouldn't be able to do the shows with the bands that I really believed in, right? Like Mono right, right. or, you know, Crystal Castles, all those shows lost money in DeKalb. Right. But, you know, the... the They still uh, count as, like, some of your favorite memories, even if, like... Right. Yeah. And I kind of saw, like, after a while and a lot of thinking, like, I kind of understood, like, you know, this, call it what you will, necessary evil is, like, dramatic. It's something less than that, but it allowed me the opportunity to do the, the shows that I really want and to bring them 
bands like Mono to the middle of a cornfield in DeKalb right. or, or Sun or whoever else. Yeah. Okay, cool. Very cool. Um, we've, we've touched on, and not, not, I don't think it was super intentionally. I think we've just kind of wandered into a couple of the negatives about the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. But what are your feelings on this city? Like what, um, good and bad, especially as how it like supports what you do and how it fits into what you do. Cause you live here now, right? Yeah. I You're live not here. like commuting in from the burbs mm-hmm. or anything like that. You live in this city. Yeah, no, I've lived here for about <laughs> 10 years and I, I love this city. I love Chicago. i I love it um, through and through um, for the the sense of culture and how vibrant the scene is. Like it's a world-class city. Yeah. And I'm really proud to live here. I'm proud to to be involved here. And I'm fortunate to be producing shows in Chicago. I will say that my first impression of it professionally was I thought coming from a corn, like DeKalb, uh, where you're struggling to find local bands that could draw more than 20 people because there, there are not that many local bands to choose from, right? Right. Coming to Chicago, I thought, oh, man, this is going to be great. Like, there's tens of thousands of bands out here. Right. Like, that problem is going to be solved. And then I came to, d- to discover that it's, like, it's the opposite. It's, like, there's tons of amazing bands, but they're all playing a ton of shows all, all over the city. Yeah. And they're also going to draw 20 people. And it, there's, you know, you still have a hustle involved there and, like, that I thought would be, would go away from from booking DeKalb. Like, sure, yeah, you would just walk in and like you've done all the grind in DeKalb. Right, to like now you've been handed the keys to this like amazing, beautiful car, and it's like right. oh, it's still got the same fucking problems under, <laughs> under the hood. Yeah, they're just different. Just, um, they're just they're yeah right. They're they are shinier. Yeah, but still broken. Yeah, I love the city a lot too. I, I obviously spend a little more time here now mm-hmm. and. uh it's really cool. I, I, my, my mind is blown by the number of creative people mm-hmm. that there are, the number of passionate people that there are, the number of incredibly healthy living people mm-hmm. that there are that kind of inspire me to like, you know, a friend of mine that moved here from Michigan dropped like 60 pounds recently just mm-hmm. by like sticking to a diet and running and stopping drinking. And it's just like, He's just like, oh, this is what people do here. They just run a lot and they, you know, they, they get healthy. They inspire each other to get healthy. Um, yeah, I like this city a lot. Are you going to live here forever? Do you think? Is this like home for, 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 for the duration? It's home right now. Yeah. Um, you know, with the baby on the way, you know, we'll see. There's discussions happening. We might move somewhere in the immediate outskirts. I know that I can't live in, in a suburb and go back to doing that again just because I hate the feeling of, strip malls and feeling like stagnant. Um, you know, Chicago, like I've been greatly ins- inspired, as you said, by all the wonderful people out here and creative and amazing people. And just walking down the street, you just get it. You just feel the energy. Right. And that's yeah. a, I lived in Palatine for a while and I wanted to put a bullet through my head. You know? Right. Well, that's dramatic, but you know what I mean? You know sure. what I mean? It's not, not for me. Yeah. No, so so okay, yeah. So Chicago's your spot. So you you know we talked about inspiration. What what gets John Ugolini out of bed in the morning? Well, all the usual things that I think any good, well-adjusted person hopefully would say, right? Family, yeah. Um, you know, my wife, obviously, baby on the way. You seem like you two seem like you got a cool thing going on. 
We do. We've like traveled a supportive, along road. Yeah, yeah, supportive. You have fun together. Yeah. Um, you know, when when I saw you a couple couple of trips ago, you pointed out how like the the pregnancy has definitely brought you closer and like kind of yeah. torn down some walls. Like you just talk about everything now because that's what you're gonna do. Absolutely. But I also yeah. see like pictures. It's cool. Like Facebook's a weird thing to like judge, not to judge, mm-hmm. but it gives you a kind of an in. Mm-hmm. on you know what's going on at home mm-hmm. and uh Corey tags you in a lot of pictures very proudly mm-hmm. whether it's you guys just out with your friends or on vacation or or doing mm-hmm. some stuff that you work on together or things mm-hmm. that you do it, it's cool man you seem to have found your person which is really neat thanks ma'am she's very supportive you know love of my life and I'm very fortunate to be with her Wait to wait until you uh, wait until that kid comes out into the world and like that feeling that you have it intensifies like a thousandfold. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. You uh, like when you settle in with your person, you know, with the, the person that you know that you're supposed to be with, and you're like, man, I can't imagine loving something. Yeah, any more than this, and then you have a kid who's like not able to defend itself. And like, there's a, there's a protective like monster that comes out of you mm-hmm. that also matches with like the love side. It's just, it's, it's intense. So yeah, be ready for that. Man. I'm looking it's just forward like, to it. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's something it's hard to describe. And I'm, I'm really stoked for you to join the dad frat, man. Well, thank you. I'm ready for it. The dad I've got frat my, to go with the dad playlist. I've got my Spotify playlist. What's it called? Stone cold dad jams on Spotify. It's a public playlist. Follow Dude, it. It's so good. So good. It like, kind of reminds me of Tyler's mustache. Like it's like if if Tyler's mustache it's was a great mustache was was a Spotify playlist, it would be this playlist. Yeah, like, plenty of like Fleetwood Mac and and um, God, it, it just everything. Thirty eight specials, Easy Top, all Ar- sorts of stuff. Ario Speedwagon, Ario Speedwagon, basically Warner. anything to stand around the grill and yeah. flip some burgers with a beer in your absolutely. hand, absolutely, dude. It's absolutely, so it's so good. Um. So that that's what gets you out of bed. What slows you down? Uh, well, let's see. I would be lying if I didn't say that the competitive nature of this business and some of the defeats that you encounter professionally, right? And these are like, this is super like inside baseball stuff, but sometimes it's hard, like it's hard not to take it personally and I have to step back and put things in perspective, right? Sure. Losing yeah. history with a band to Live Nation, a band that should be like, morally opposed to yeah. playing the, or AEG yeah. in supporting that company. Right. Right. Um, the not, bands that you see that have like the ethic, um, the punk rock ethos. Yeah. And then they go play the same room that, uh, secretly booked two Louis CK shows. Right. And you're like, Oh, what ethic are you carrying? Right and now? Yeah, and sometimes like that that stuff, you know, can be defeating in the moment and it, it takes a lot of um walks around the block and me kind of checking myself a little bit and stepping away from my computer and um reminding myself that this is okay. This is just the order of the universe and Right. Sometimes it just, you know, you lose one and then you get that out of the blue email about Jimmy Eat World. Right, exactly. You know, or and in my case fi- not a surf and it's just like and then, yeah. Okay. Now I'm fine again. Exactly. I'm fine and I'm emoting, you know, I'm, I'm hugging the internet via Twitter, you know, like I love everyone. And yes. And da, da, yeah, da. absolutely. 
Riding the roller coaster. Um, so there's that. And then, you know, it also the, our current political climate makes it challenging at times. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I'm hopeful that we're working through that. And I think you just have to stay positive. And elections are coming up. Yeah. Get out and vote. Friends. Get out and vote. Um, one musical artist that you really believe in right now? Well, on a national level, I would say Pyle um, from Boston, right? Yep. I love that band musically. They're kind of my my thing, I would think. But artistically, like I, I just feel like I, I love like moody, angular, guitar-driven music. And that band yeah. I, rewards repeated listens. I feel like every time I listen to them, I discover... Uh, some new component to like a song or something that like really catches my attention. So I love them. Uh, Amol and the Sniffers I've been really into lately. Um, what about on the local level? Like who's your like Chicago band that you're like, yeah. you're backing hard? Um, I love Namdi. everything that he does. Yeah. I love the artistic choices that he makes. Yeah. Like I think that his new single is amazing. I haven't got a chance, but I need to. I've, I've seen it's it. great. Too many times to have not clicked on it yet. Um, and I like that he's like constantly like experimenting and doing new things. I mean, I don't know how many bands he plays in right now, but there was a point in Chicago where he played in like All 50 bands. Yeah, right. And I, I think that that's really inspiring um, that he does that. John Chavez <laughs> would be like, I don't know if, if he's available that weekend. Just send me an offer. Like I yeah. he could, maybe he might just be playing in four other bands that day. Yeah. And he, he, you know, we had him on a couple of like the different little mini festivals in Michigan. Mm -hmm. It it worked out, but he was always just like, I, 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 I'm not going to pre ask him, like send the offer. I'll take it to him and be like, Hey, can you fit this into whatever crazy wild thing that you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. He's so much fun. Yeah. Very cool. There's so many good Chicago bands, Milk Belly, Rap Boys, Micaiah McRaven. There's countless. I, uh, I stand Rap Boys forever. Uh, your favorite music memory or your favorite memory in this business? Um, I would say there's a lot of them, but I think one that I personally liked uh, or was very important to me was I booked this venue in DeKalb called The Rodeo, and it was behind the house cafe. It was an unmarked door. Like, you had to know where it was to get there. It was underneath a ballerina studio. Okay. And we couldn't... We did shows on Thursday nights and they started at 10 p.m. after the dance studio let out. Right. And it was very under the radar. Like you had to know about it. It's Thursday nights at 10. Man, I need to do one of those. And it got to the fun. It got to the point where people just showed up without knowing who was playing. And that's the dream, right? Right. Yeah. And I did shows with bands that like like My Way, My Love from Japan, um, this like Sonic Youth tinged amazing band and yeah just sold out and it's because of the the venue right so and they crowd surfed while walking on the ceiling because there were low ceilings in there while doing a solo it was just incredible yeah and that venue uh was great because you know you could kind of be a tastemaker and just book the stuff that you really believed in that you liked without having to worry about enough people coming up to support it purely because sure. everybody showed up. Got a little taste of what it's like to like book one of the big rooms. Yeah. Not that, not that you don't have to book, like even if you book first Ave, 
or, yeah. or Webster Hall or, or even Shuba's here in town. Like you still yeah. have to book bands that people want to come see. Sure. But like everything gets offered to you when it should kind of thing. And right. it's like that. It takes a little bit of the, the struggle out of it to have a place like that where it's just like desired or a place where it just doesn't matter kind of what you do as long as you put up quality. Right. It tends to respond. Like if you started yeah. booking garbage all the time, then no one would come. People want to come. And Unless it was the actual band garbage then. <laughs> then people would come. I would yeah. definitely be there. Uh, so that's your favorite music memory. What's your kind of worst music moment? Well, it's probably what I alluded to before is the, the personal and professional reckoning around some of those like crab core bands and some of the less than savory stuff that I booked um, well-meaning, but, um, that I really was like opposed to. And, you know, I've stepped in a couple of landmines booking some bands that, you know, some stuff has like surfaced later. Yep. We've, um, we've had much we've had many a talk about that, about how to handle those things. Like you find out the opening band on one of your bills has some crazy, like record label that they ran 10 years ago that distributed, you know, whatever awful, bands racist propaganda yeah exactly and your Nazi bands and stuff right and dealing with that stuff um you know is you operate off of your moral compass and what you believe in when you have a stage you have a responsibility right yeah the people you put up on that stage and um you know I, you act on what you feel is uh right to you which you do it sometimes you find that people don't appreciate that and that brings a whole other set of um headaches yeah, right. It's like you were trying to do the right thing. Right. And maybe be not even progressive in your ideas, but just just you you gave effort, you tried. Right. You thought, mm-hmm. you, you thought creatively and and critically and then no one wanted that from you. Sure. <laughs> you know. It's like it's an industry that that requires a lot of critical thought, you know. It's not like you have a a, a certain uh, you know, pizza delivery, like pizza delivery is about getting it there hot and fast and that's it. Like just get there and, and mm-hmm. you know, there's no creative license there, but to be able to handle what we do, we have a lot of cre- creative license, maybe less and less as time goes on and the right. agents uh, hire their little marketing people to micromanage the shit out of everything that we do that sure. just makes our jobs harder. Mm-hmm. Um but that's another path that we don't need. There's so many paths we're not allowed to go yeah. down. Like, man, we should do the second. We should do one of these with headphones on and recording yeah. of all the things we're not allowed to say. Sure. But then just have it to share amongst ourselves. Sure. It's like the agent versus promoter Instagram that is the secret one that only, yeah. Yeah. That you call people out. And, Super inside. Right, right. Yeah. Um. You have a Snoop Dogg story that yeah I want to I want to know, and I've got a Snoop Dogg story too. That I'll oh tell you do you. yeah oh it's great not, it's probably not as good as your Snoop Dogg story, so you go first, and then I'll just clean up the mess. Well, after, you know. this was a very important show for me because I think it was the first show where my mom was like, "Oh, I know who that is," you know, yeah. and uh, my parents like it was in my family were like, "Oh wow, that's a big deal." Right. Um, so it gave me some credibility, some validation, some validation. It You're made much, much maligned. Right. It right. made much. It made Thanksgivings yeah. and holidays easier from that point on <laughs> to to have to not That's answer nice that question. Son, what but, do you do? Right. Uh, what is that? He books Snoop Dogg. Yeah. So 
I, we booked a show with Snoop Dogg at the Castle Theater in Bloomington, Illinois, and, you know, we had trouble securing a cargo van to, you know, for our runner. So yeah. I ended up borrowing one from a band in Chicago, yeah. friend's band, drove it down there, and I acted as the runner. It's my friend's band, you know, um, or my friend's band's van. Yeah, so you didn't want to put it in anybody else's hands. Yeah, I didn't want anybody messing it up or anything. Sure. So. You know, I'm doing runs back and forth, and uh, and Snoop Dogg's rider, it says, and like... SUV and the whole... It's got all that, but not only that, it says in big, bold letters, red, underlined, temperature control is very important for Snoop Dogg, and everything needs to be air-conditioned and cool. Yep. And it's, like, listed multiple places in the rider, yeah. right? Yeah. So we're driving. I'm driving the dog pound to the venue, and they're, like... You know, John, it's hot back here. Put on the air conditioning. I put on the air conditioning and like June bug and everybody's yelling at me and they're like, it's hot. Turn on the air conditioning. And I'm at this point feeling kind of attacked and I'm not going to like, I'm standing my ground. I'm like, the air conditioning is on. Look at it. I'm not an idiot. Like the knob is turned all the way. Yeah. And like, look, and everybody's like looking at it and, you know, people are like kind of raising their voices and I'm like, look, look at the air conditioning. It's like, it's on full blast. And then I return the van uh, to my friends and they're like, how was it? Was it great? And I explain the air conditioning thing and they say, oh yeah, that's broken. It blows out like piping hot air. We have to fix the air conditioning. <laughs> Snoop Dogg wouldn't drive in that van and I totally understand it. His yeah. bodyguard came up and he looked at me and he's like, this van smells like sweat socks. Snoop Dogg isn't riding in here. And I was like, that's fair enough. It's my friend's van yeah. and they just toured in it so yeah i gotcha so how did he get to the venue he he had another ride his bodyguard had a right. like had a like escalade all right all right so they didn't so snoop didn't yeah i mean he rolls around in the middle of summer i just i saw him this summer in like a full-on sweatsuit you know so i can imagine that they he doesn't want to start the show off all sweaty no and, you know like no he's very precious about his like his skin and his uh his everything but that's snoop dude like he he's he's the dude he shows up and he glows man it was an amazing show and an yeah. amazing opportunity amazing yeah. time yeah. one of my favorite shows i went and saw him this summer at a um a casino mm -hmm. and they have an outdoor series so sure bring in a stage and everything and it's fourteen thousand people and it's snoop dogg ice cube warren g and the dog pound nice and uh it was amazing. Sold out, 14,000 people in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, which is oh. just up in the middle of nowhere, and a little college town in July. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know the promoter, um, this guy Brad, who's been booking casinos and, and festivals and everything for 35, 40 years. He's just a fantastic friend. I don't have a lot of mentors in this business, but he's certainly one that I like. He's taught me a lot. He's just mm -hmm. a great dude. And he gave us all access. And I'm thinking Snoop Dogg is for sure like clean deck. Nobody's going on stage. Yeah. But then it's like hip hop. Maybe that, maybe, maybe I can. So I go up on the, on stage left side and, and you know, somebody waves me away. And so I go over on stage, right. And there's 10 or 15 people up there, including a couple of people that I know. And I get up there and, you know, no, not bothered, not whatever. So I'm side stage with like 10 other people for ice cube and Snoop Dogg in front of 14,000 people. And, uh, this dude I know in Detroit, um, his name's Al and he's like a, 
he's a creative dude, stage guy, uh, just kind of like jack of all trades, production, video, all that kind of stuff. He kind of rolls with like the Detroit crew that kind of came out and was like Snoop Dogg's entourage for the mm-hmm. day, including Trick Trick. I don't know if you're familiar with D- Detroit rapper Trick Trick. Nope. Trick Trick is the one in Detroit that has the no fly zone. And the okay. no fly zone is basically they need to pay tribute. Rappers, when they come into town, need to like call up Trick Trick and be like, hey, dude, come on out. Like, we're in town. Just want to almost like uh, asking for somebody's hand in marriage. You have to like ask Trick Trick if it's cool to come play Detroit. Yeah. If not, he shows up with his crew and they, they, they don't have nice faces. And uh, he's run Rick Ross out of town. He's run, he's canceled probably five or six shows over the years. Wow. And he's the, Trick Trick is the sweetest, most, in you see him and he's just the, this big teddy bear, you know? Mm-hmm. And Al comes up and Al doesn't know why I'm there. He just sees me up on stage. He takes Trick Trick and he's like, Trick Trick, this is Nate. He booked this show. He He's responsible for all this. And Trick Trick comes up, gives me the big like bro hug and everything uh-huh. up on stage. And, you know, Snoop's about to go on and, um, he's just, everybody's hype. Everybody's ready to go. And it was loud. And I was like, I'm just going to let that one fly. I'm just going to let that one stand. So I took credit for Snoop Dogg being in that position in that, <laughs> in that space in front of Trick Trick. It was the first time I'd ever met him. And then we stood up there and just like, I've got all my videos that I took from side stage that night. Like I've got a video of Snoop and Warren G doing regulators together. Uh-huh. And right in the foreground of the video is, is Trick Trick just throwing the fuck down, you know, just uh-huh. like rapping along and just having the greatest freaking time. That was a pretty fun night. It was maybe a little fraudulent on my point to like, but it was almost like some sort of weird <laughs> flex or ego boost that I was like one of 12 people side stage with this, I mean, world-class rap with Snoop and Ice Cube and, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. And then after the show, they did like a, a little meet and greet and I got to get a picture with Snoop, get a picture with Cube. And it was really, oh. it was one of those nights where I was like, this isn't real. I thought you were going to say after the show, they they caught on. They're like, okay, you need to leave now. No, no, no. <laughs> after the show, they went in the greed room and filled it up with smoke for sure. They're one of those mm-hmm. trailers for sure. But uh, it was kind of a fun night. And I just, in the, in the noise of it all, I didn't want to like correct him and be like, oh no, no, I didn't book the, sure. he just like bro hug and then walked away and went back to like the, you know, who he was there with. And, and it was just me and me and Al are like the two white guys standing on stage in this big, like, you know, uh, entourage of all trick tricks homies. And it was, mm-hmm. it was, I don't know. It was a super fun night, man. Yeah. Snoop dog. We got a lot Snoop in dog. common, dude. We do. Snoop motherfucker. Snoop dog stories. Love it. Um, programming vice presidents <laughs> or residence halls, RAs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, dark yeah. hair, beards, kids in the world. Yeah. Are you, and it's stupid to ask. You haven't even had one yet, but like, are you guys planning on having a little brood? Uh, right now, that would be a hard no, according <laughs> to my wife. <laughs> she is done. <laughs> She's like, this is it. We're adopting, if anything. Right. We're shutting this down. We were at our appointment the other day, and the, a doctor, Dr. Rojas, fantastic doctor, look him up, Illinois Advocate Medical, Medical Center, and he pulled out like the birth control thing. And this is obviously a form thing that he has to go through at this point of the. Sure. So he's like, yeah. oh, you know, afterwards, here's like your options. And my wife was like way in, way too into it, like alarmingly into it. 
like, oh, this IUD, oh, that's how this works. Oh, it's a shot. Oh, you, how soon after labor can we do this? Right, right. And I was like, damn. Like she closed. She's the ready gate. to like closing shut it gate. down. Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna go see Michigander tonight. What are you doing tonight? I'm going home and hanging out with my pregnant wife. Didn't you have a? Was oh, it? I have a rehearsal tonight, yeah. so I'm gonna hang out with my pregnant wife and then to. go to a improv comedy rehearsal. Tell us a little bit about that world. We didn't even get there. Yeah. So I got involved, you know, in college, I, I did some, some comedy and performance art stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I had a, a television show on public access TV in DeKalb, a sketch show that we got canceled after two episodes, but it exists and it's on tape and it happened. Yes. And so anyway, um, I took classes at, at IO and the Annoyance Theater out here and kind of fell into this comedy scene out here in Chicago and, um, mostly doing like um, improv and then like sketch comedy stuff. So written and produced some sketch shows predominantly like do a lot of improv and I'm on this, uh, this team at the one group mind theater comedy clubhouse on Ashland. So we perform on Friday nights. So have a rehearsal today. Cool. What are you guys working on right now? Well, well, I mean, it's improv. So are you working on anything ever? I guess yeah. the, the shows have to have themes, right? You don't just get up there and make it up on the total. Floor. I don't. You know. get a suggestion, but like yeah. you do, like you rehearse, like the um, you rehearse like different uh, theories and, and um, techniques, right? That sure. you, when you're making it up on the fly, there's it's like rehearsing the process, rehearsing the process, and like understanding different techniques and, and tag outs, and then also like becoming familiar with your performers, so you understand like what you're. Uh, sensibilities are comedically and like the subtext of what you might be saying. So you could establish like patterns and games and scenes and all sorts of other nerdy, lame stuff. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> come on, man. Don't sell that short like that. It's Improv hard. is either like, there's no gray area. It's either like pure magic and one of the like coolest forms of artistic comedic expression, mm-hmm. or it's insufferable, like really difficult to like sit through. Sure. Um, but when it's good, it's it's amazing. Do do does every troop or troop? Are you a troop? Does every yeah. group have the both of those nights? Well, I, I guess yeah. I can't promise that every group has a really great night. Sure. But do the great nights? Do the great groups also have just a, just nights where it's like we should have not? Oh yeah, done that. Yeah, you have at the very best. You hope that your bad shows are less bad over time and they're right. just a baseline okay. Right. But everybody has a percentage of, you know, whatever it is, good show to bad show. For every Chris Farley's Tommy Boy, there's a Beverly right. nobody has Hills like Ninja. Nobody, you know, bats a thousand or whatever. Right, right. Um very cool. I'm gonna have to come in town one of these years, one of these months, one of these weeks on like a weekend. And come see a show because I think yeah. I would love to see you in the stage element. You should come to three, so that way I could guarantee one of them is hopefully good. You're at least the a other three hundred, a three thirty three hitter. <laughs> I think that's we're a three thirty three hitter. Yeah, that's Hall of Fame, <laughs> dude. That's for real. Um, we wrap these up with a speed round where I'm just going to name off a few things, and I just want you to fire back the first thing that comes Great. to mind. If you want to break it down, if you want to go deep on something, feel free, but don't feel like you okay. have to. Uh, best album of all time. Oh my God. Um, wow. I don't know that I could definitively answer that really quickly, but I will say my personal favorite album of all time might be cut by the slits. Okay. That's right now. Okay. 
Will that, will that change in a month or, or is that a pretty consistent answer? I think it's pretty consistent. Okay, cool. Uh, not counting the ones we've mentioned already. Favorite concert experience? <sighs> Favorite concert experience? Probably the we- Weezer Yahoo Out Loud tours. Weezer, the Get Up Kids and Ozma. Okay. Where was that at? I think it was at the Aragon. I saw two dates on that tour. I saw another show in St. Louis somewhere. I can't recall. Okay. What era Weezer is that? Green album, baby. This was right oh, when like right. they so, were on hiatus and yeah. like nobody knew what was going on. Yeah. And I read their website every day. Carl, I read everything Carl had to say. I was in it deep. <laughs> Do you watch a lot of TV? I think a fair amount. You yeah. and your wife together or just mm-hmm. you solo? Together, yeah. What's the most recent thing you've binge watched? Most recent thing that we binge watched would be probably The Good Place. Dude. It's great. Okay. Yep. It's fantastic. Tyler's on board. Dude. Yeah. So uh my wife and I have a like a a, a single celebrity like uh exception to sure. our marriage, I mm-hmm. suppose. And it can change. It can't yeah. change like every time it's convenient, but it can change from time to time mm-hmm. as life goes through its seasons. And I think Kristen Bell is currently in the that for me. Oh, that's great. But also, um, the show is really good, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't Kristen Bell. Yeah, yeah. Are you are you through it? Are you caught up? Yeah, I'm current. Okay. I am current, dude. It's so good. It's amazing, and yeah. it's like it's so. Um, it's incredible to me that it's on network television uh, because it is, they have a great balance that's they achieve in that show of being accessible yet very cerebral at the same time. It's and challenging. Very, very challenging yeah. and deep. Yeah. If you choose to like dwell on it and think about it and it, it's there, they're yeah. like deep philosophical matters that they right. delve into. And then Ted Danson's just great. And I think, is I think the Janet character is probably the best character on the yeah, show. She's amazing. They're all so Especially talented. the most recent one where there was like hundreds of them. Yeah. Oh, God. So good. Can we just go? Wait, when? It, oh, they're on Thursdays. So we're, we're two days from having a new one to right. watch. Damn it. Okay. That's a good one, dude. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, the best musical performer that ever lived. Oh, my goodness. Um... Wow. So Monique was on yesterday and uh, she's from Minnesota. So I told her she couldn't uh, do Prince because that was too easy for her. Yeah. That's and, a good one. And, but I don't think there's a Chicago Prince that's mm-hmm. like, you can't have that one. Well, Iggy Pop spent some time in Chicago. Is he are you claim? Chicago? Are you, no. Are you claiming Iggy Pop? Because that's a no, Detroit thing, right? That is a, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you be careful over there. Okay. Um, you know, I don't know. I guess uh, I'm so bad with those types of questions because it's so subjective. I mean, I don't know. I guess you could say, you know, you could put John Lennon up there. You could put uh, David Bowie up there. Um, yeah, those those are good ones. You know, there's a million other people that I'm probably not thinking of. I'll take those two. You know, we can we can put those in the bank. Okay. Uh, albums or singles? Albums. Okay. Good, even with the dad playlist, which is singles. Mm-hmm. See that era for me is all it's singles, isn't it? I think that's the era of the album. 
Like yeah. all the classic rock stuff, that format, like. But the, I only know the songs that got played on radio, so right. like it, it's weird. I'm an album guy too, so I'm not arguing yeah. with you by any means. But um, I always thought of singles as like a current thing, right? Right. But then also like, yeah, those were albums, but like, what Beatles songs, or maybe not the Beatles? That let's throw that one out. What Ario Speedwagon songs do you know? Like the ones they played on the radio. You don't know mm-hmm. the deep cuts, or maybe you do. Maybe right. I'm not as good at this dad rock thing as maybe you are. Well. Do you know the deep cuts? I mean, can you tell me like the best Sticks song? Sticks even well, on there. Well, not really Sticks big Sticks fan. Right? Yeah. No, I don't think. I think we have yeah. an obligatory Sticks song on there. But uh, yeah. you know, all those like like classic rock album, like the Who, Tommy. Yeah. You know, those are all like that that album format at the height of like prog rock, classic rock, like was meant to be consumed as an album. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Festivals, yay or nay? Um, I personally don't like going to festivals. The festival experience is not for me. I prefer to see bands in a club. Okay. That's, that's a pretty common answer with music people. I yeah. think unless we have a golf cart and an all access pass and access to catering True. for free, then all of a sudden festivals are like, yay, all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I'm not in charge or I don't have at least a golf cart available, I'm probably not going. Right. I went to Lala a couple of years ago and stayed for like an hour and a half and that was it. Saw yeah. Flit Eastwood and went back to my Airbnb and that was that. I hear that. I did it. I went to I went to Lala. <laughs> um and I even had all access and access to catering and the golf cart path. Right. I rode that back and forth, I think like three times in an mm-hmm. hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. That was it. Been there. I, yeah. A controversial opinion mm-hmm. that John Ugolini holds. Oh boy. Um, controversial opinion, you know, I don't know that I have one. I have tons. I will say for some reason, the first thing that came to mind, and this isn't a controversial opinion, but one thing that bums me out in the like era of the hot takes that we live in is that I wish people would have like a little more empathy and, uh, give people extend the benefit of the doubt. So yeah. I feel when I've been on the hot end of, when I've been on the other end of a hot take, trying to play devil's advocate to it and give somebody the benefit of the doubt, that's yeah. when I've been maybe perceived with whatever friend I'm talking to as a controversial take. Yeah, right. no, I, I think that's I think that's fair because I think we're very uh, quick to just bury everyone and everything. Yeah, I think you need, for humanity, right, you have to believe that people can change and you have to yeah. believe in the good of people. You definitely need to hold people accountable when they fuck yeah. up. Yeah, And you need to, like, let them know, but... I don't think know. I'd be canceled if, like, social media existed when I was 17. Mm-hmm. But I certainly would have some questionable, like, thoughts that would have got on the internet, like uh, yeah, as sure. I was developing I my ethos, so to speak. Yeah. People are experimenting. Yeah. You just figure you go back out. and read an old paper that you wrote in school oh, dude, and yeah. it's Ugh. awkward. Ugh. I can, you can barely get Who through it. Who is this you person? crawl out of your skin. Right. Yeah. Uh, a guilty pleasure. Professional wrestling. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Big time. Okay. That's not a place where we connect at all. Everybody around me in the whole fusion team for years were big uh wrestling people, especially Curtis, our production manager. Yeah. Uh buys tickets to like the crazy big ones in like yeah. WrestleMania in Florida or in New York or wherever and is always constantly yeah. there. And I'm just like 
I think I think it's my happy place. I think it's because I watched oh, it a lot when I was a kid. We did talk about this once. Yeah, I'll put yeah. it on, and it's like a like a like a warm. It's like a warm blanket. Well, it's like a warm, sweaty guy in a tights. Yeah, hugging you. Well, that too. Yeah. Uh, where can we find out more about John's things on the interweb? Well, you could get a full list of shows at kickstandproductions.net. We're also on all of the social channels you would expect. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Where can we go see your improv? Comedy Clubhouse, Friday nights at 10 p.m. Every Friday. Every Friday. That's a lot of improv. It is. That's a commitment, man. Yeah. For somebody who's in the concert business to like give up every Friday night. Yeah. So it must be good. Well, at least one out of three. Yeah, I would think that's a that's a fair average. Okay, fair enough. Uh, anything else you want to share? Anything we didn't cover? Did we miss anything? Any, no. Anything you want to ask me? Not. Do you want to flip it around and do another hour and a half where you interview me? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's take those <laughs> questions. Let's run it back and let's see what you have to say. Just hand you my phone. <laughs> Did we miss anything? No, this has been great. Thank you. This is uh, thank you for the opportunity. It's been great getting to talk to you. As you mentioned, yeah. You know, I greatly value our relationship. I greatly value, uh, I, I found out about you, I think in part through bands that we both booked. Yeah. Um, people would always mention you, like you remind me of this guy, Nate Duro <laughs> in Michigan that we had just last night. Dark hair and hoodies all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, not quite as tall and skinny as handsome as you, John, but, uh, he's about, he's well, don't sell yourself short, <laughs> but I greatly appreciate that. I think that we're you know, in this industry, I feel fortunate to um, to have a relationship with you and us being like-minded and the friendship that's developed and being able to, you know, use each other as a sounding board. Uh, yeah, with, dude. Us, us indies you know, got to in stick together. Here. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Thank I'm, you. I'm proud of you and I'm, I'm excited for your entry into dad life. I can't wait. Well, thank you. For the stories that are going to come and uh, hopefully we continue to cross paths. Yes. Maybe not with sweaty headsets on all the time. Right. um, This was good. Yeah, this was good. Thank Uh, you. I love you, man. Love you too, man. Welcome to the dad frat, John Ugolini. Really excited uh, for you and your family. You're going to be the best dad. And uh, I thank you in a very busy, very crazy time for you that you could take the time to sit down with us. Special thanks to Tyler Floyd, our producer. Appreciate you, my friend. Appreciate you too. And uh, yeah, we got two more episodes in this season. uh, And the next one is a good one. It's uh, with Nicole LeRae, the queen of the pyramid scheme. So please uh, tune in. You can email us at hereforNowPod at gmail.com. You can find us on social media at hereforNowPod. And uh, hit up our website, hereforNowPodcast.com. You can subscribe anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Looking forward to keeping this moving. Thanks for your support. Appreciate you. Everyone have a good day. Bye.